and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Will you pray with me, please? Gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it teaches us about who you are, about what you've done, about who you call us to be. We pray that as we continue to look into your word today, that you would change our hearts to what you want us to be. Open our hearts to what you want us to hear. Help us to not resist the things that are challenging to us, but to embrace those things and to enjoy the grace that always flows through every word that is in your written word, Lord. We just pray that as we continue through this study, that you would be glorified and honored and that our hearts would rejoice in the grace that you have for us and the truth that you've taught us. And we pray all these things in your son's precious name. Amen. So we are in a short sermon series titled One Love, and I thought about the same thing. I thought, oh, I should get Keith One Love, and he can play, you know, uh, uh, Bob Marley and play it as we come up. We're uh, One Love, we're talking about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And today, Tom talked about the Father last week. Today, we're going to talk about the Spirit. Now, I have, uh, uh, or I'm sorry, today we're going to talk about the Son. I have, I have two sons, but, but I, I, I talked with my daughter before. I have two sons and one daughter. Uh, I, I talked with my daughter before the service today and said, I'm going to talk about your, your older brother, uh, but it's not because I don't love you. <laughs> it's not because you're any less important to me or any less special or whatever. Uh, it, it's just because it, it, particular, it fits the particular topic of what we're talking about today. Um, you know, honestly, I, I look at all three of my kids, and I'm impressed by the person that God has made them into despite me. Uh, you know, I, I look at them and think, oh, how did they turn out so good with a dad like me? Because at times I'm just a, I'm a wreck, right? So um, I, I'm always impressed at the people that they are and continue to enjoy who God is making them into as they get older and older. I miss the little days when they would run up to me and, you know, grab my leg or jump into my arm, daddy, you know, now they have, now they all call me father because they think it's weird to call me daddy and it probably is at this age. But, um, you know, it, it, I miss those days, but this, these days are special too. And someday I'm going to look back on these days and miss them. They're going to be off doing their own thing and, and all have their own kids. And, and, you know, I'm just going to be the granddad. And so I'm going to miss these days as well. But I, I'm trying to hold on to these days. I'm trying to remember these days better than I remember their childhood. Because their childhood, you know what it's like to have young kids, right? It's crazy. They... they they take up so much time and energy. And, and, and you come home, and, and they're like, Daddy! You know, they've got all this energy, and you're like, oh, Jose! You know, so I, I, these days, I'm just trying to embrace what we have and the relationships that we have, and I, and I truly, truly enjoy uh, being around all of them as, as individuals. They're, they are, with my wife, the, my four favorite people. No offense to any of you, but they are, I love spending time with the four of them. Any day, I would drop anything I was doing to spend time with the four of them. Uh, they make me laugh. Uh, I enjoy life more because of who they are. So anyway, um, so anyway, I have two boys, right? Um, but I remember all the kids' births like they were yesterday. I remember uh, uh, things about them, details. 
uh, just, just things that, that remind me of who they are and how they all came into this world, and they were all exciting. But uh, of all three births, the one that really stands out most is the birth of my first son, um, my first son, Joshua. It's not because he's better or more special. It's not because he's the first. It's not because he's even my first son. It's not because of any of that. Uh, it's because ultimately when, when he came into the world, we were expecting a girl. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was troublesome for me because it was my fault. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, the, the way that worked was um, I wanted to know the sex, and Belinda didn't want to know the sex. And so uh, I said, what if we have, have the radiologist uh, write down the sex on a piece of paper, seal it in an envelope, and I will look at it at my leisure, and you'll never know when it happens, right? And so that's what we did. And we got home, and Belinda immediately gets on the phone and calls her mother, and she's saying, you know, she's talking about the, 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 uh, I can't, I can't, ultrasound, thank you. I'm thinking sonogram, no, that's not anything. Ultrasound, uh, she's talking about the little pictures we have, all that kind of stuff. And, and I immediately go into my office. I was in seminary at the time. I walked into the office in the back of the house, and I open up the envelope quietly, and I look at it, and I'm like, it's a girl. And then I take another envelope that's, that, that has the same stuff on it, and I put it in there, I seal it, and I pretend I never opened it. <laughs> so she comes in, and she's like, we've got to open it. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't want to know. You have to, you have to just resist this. I don't want to ruin this for you. And we went back and forth for a little while, and it was, it was fun, playful banter. But eventually, I, 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 I opened it up, and, and I looked at the piece of paper, and then I put it in my mouth, and I swallowed it. <laughs> and she said, what does it say? And I went, it's a girl. And she's like, really? And I went, no, it's a boy. And she's like, really? And I went, no, it's a girl. And then we did that for a little while. And, you know, it was on and on. And finally, we rested on the fact that it was a girl. Now, the mistake that we made from that point was telling everybody, right? We're having a girl. We're having a girl. Because what happens when you tell people what you're having? They, they see things that they're like, this would be so cute on the Kaler baby. I mean, the Kaler baby could be as homely as a, you know, as a, uh, a, a raven or whatever. But, but you know, but, but. But, they, but it would be cute on the baby. They don't know what the baby's going to look like yet, but it would be cute on the baby. And so they buy all these things. And then the day finally arrives, and it was 24 hours of labor. We were both exhausted. It was, it was just a, a, it was still a wonderful experience. We had some of our, Tom, uh, Tom was hunting. <laughs> Tom was hunting. Uh, Kathy was there, and uh, two other friends of ours were there from seminary, and and uh, this, this good friend of mine, he was, in the, he was in the room with us as we were, you know, just during the labor part, not during the actual delivery part. And um, he and I were going back and forth. If you're a f- fan of The Simpsons, there's a Simpsons episode where Marge and Homer go to fly somewhere and she's got gas. Or she sa- she, he keeps saying, do you have gas? Is it gas? She's really nervous about flying. He keeps saying, do you have gas? Do you have gas? So we kept doing that to Belinda every time a contraction would happen. Um, it was funny for us. I, I realized to all you who have had children are going, wow, you should have died at that moment. But, but the fact is, is that I didn't. And, and in the end, it was just a great time. But what happens is, is the baby comes out at the last, last second, you know, and we're, Belinda and I are crying. We've been up for 24 hours, and she's squeezing my hand really tight, so that's part of the reason I'm crying. And, 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 and we look and she looks down at, at Joshua, who's now laying on her chest, who was supposed to be Grace. And she looks up at me, and she looks down at Joshua and back up at me, and she says, you are in so much trouble. You have to find him something to wear on the way home. 
in that moment, everything changed in my head, right? When I thought I was having a girl, I was so excited about having a little princess. You know, I'd be her hero. She'd want to marry a guy just like me. Um, you know, yeah, I'm sorry. I just, what I thought, it was the, it was the delusions, it was the delusions of a father. Uh, you know, uh, she, all those things, you know, daddy, you know, that, that, that played in my head when I thought it was a girl. And I was so excited about it. But then when I found out it was a boy, it was a different set of excitement, right? It all changed again. And I'm sitting there going, I'm going to have a boy. And oh my gosh, she's going to be just like me. And I'm going to teach him how to be a man when I figure that out myself. I'm going to teach him how to gut a fish when I figure that out myself. I'm going to teach him how to throw a ball. I'm going to teach him how to, how to be a gentleman and op open the door for a lady. I'm going to teach him how to use drills and hammers and screwdrivers and, and saws. I'm going to, I'm going to teach him. I'm going to, he's going to, I'm going to raise, he'll be, he'll be me. He'll be a mini-me. And, 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 and he'll carry on my name forever, right? That's the sort of excitement that happened in ancient Israel. That was kind of what was behind some of that experience of when, 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 a, when a man wanted to have a son, it was, it was very important. It was extremely important for a number of reasons. Um, sons, particularly first sons, they occupied a, a, a place of extreme importance in a family back then. They took rank, so to speak. So all the younger siblings would be managed by the oldest son and would be, would be sort of, um, they'd be under his protection and under his authority on some levels. The oldest son received a greater portion of the inheritance, in part because after the father's death, it was the oldest son's responsibility to take care of the family, of those who were still dependents. So the oldest son had to be like dad. They had to take that role. They had to care for the father's remaining uh, dependents. Uh, they had to continue doing the father's work. That's why sons often did the exact same jobs as their dad. What was Jesus? What was his, what was his occupation? He was a carpenter because his dad was a carpenter. That's how it worked. In today's text, what we see is a, a, a promise of that sort of son being born to us, to God's people. A shoot from the stump of Jesse. That's Jesus, right? Jesse is King David's father. King David is Jesus' great, 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 etc. grandfather, right? Jesus is the stump that would be born of Jesse. And he was coming. He would be God's eternal king when he came. He would rule with all righteousness and authority. He would bring justice throughout the world to all people, to all things, to all situations, to all conflicts. He would save God's people from their sin. That's the meaning of the name Isaiah. Isaiah means the Lord is salvation. It's like the name Jesus. It's like the name Joshua. It means the Lord is our salvation. And in Isaiah 11, he paints a vivid picture of what God's ideal kingdom would look like. A world transformed by the presence of God's one and only Son. And this passage then becomes a, a beacon of hope to anybody who's ex experienced struggles and trials, all of God's people who have gone through difficulties in life. This is our hope. This is the very reason that we come here to go, thank you, God, because of Christ. 
the Son being born to us, reminding us that God's plan is to save his people. And so we're called to rejoice in that. We're called to rejoice in the fact that the Son has come. Rejoice in knowing that God knows what we struggle with. He knows what we go through. And despite our sin, despite our selfishness and our, and our, our rebellion against him, God says, no, I, I won't leave you there. I love you entirely too much for that. I will give you my son. And so let me give you a little background on what Isaiah is talking about here, or how, where we are in a story. So God sends Isaiah to King Ahaz uh, of Judah, right? And he's warning him. His, his job is to warn Ahaz about making an alliance with Assyria. Uh, because Assyria was a non-believing nation, and an alliance with them was not going to go the way Judah felt. And it wasn't going to benefit them in the long run. And ultimately, it wasn't going to lead God's, God's people closer to God. But what Ahaz does, um, you know, Isaiah says, hey, listen, ask for a sign. God will prove it to you. He'll show you what he's going to do. Just ask for a sign. And Ahaz says, I won't put the Lord to test. Now, it sounds like a really pious answer, right? I'm not going to test God. That, that's not what we're supposed to do. Seems like a very pious answer. It seems like a very re religious answer. But what Ahaz is ultimately doing is saying, no, <laughs> I don't actually want God's input. I think I know what's best here. I think I know what I'm doing. I think I can do the right thing. So I don't need God. He took matters into his own hands. But it didn't work out well, as it usually does when we take matters into our own hands. It made Judah very vulnerable to Assyria's power. And ultimately, when they had this alliance, Assyria just crushed them and took over. And so it worked out really badly for God's people. And yet, despite their pride, despite their rebellion, despite their sin and, and rejection of God's will for their life, God didn't leave them in that place of destruction. He says, no, I'm, I'm going I'm to do something that you would not expect. I'm going to do something that you would not expect. He, doesn't, he does that for all of us, right? When, when, when we've struggled, when we find ourselves in the midst of a trial, particularly because of our own sin, God doesn't say, okay, well... You're on your own now. He doesn't leave us there. Even when we fail to heed his word, God pursues us, just as he pursued Judah. He went after them so that he could save them and redeem them and bring them back to himself. He shows mercy. He offers forgiveness through the son, the son that he sent to save us. Because the son comes to rebuild our brokenness. The sun comes to rebuild our brokenness. Now, I realize that's not worded very well. It probably should say the sun comes to rebuild us out of our brokenness, from our brokenness, but you get, you get the idea. The sun comes to rebuild our brokenness. It comes to restore, restore us from the destruction that has been caused by our sin. In verse 1, Isaiah describes what Judah's desolation is going to look like after the Assyrian oppression says, uh, Judah will be so devastated that David's lineage will be reduced to a stump. Now, what, have you, what do you think of when you think of stump? When you see a stump, it's dead. That's right, it's dead. It has, it has no chance of life. It will never return. It will never come back to in, into existence. It's just dead. It's just a stump. At best, you could carve something out of it and you know, make a pretty statue in your, in your yard for a while until it rots, and then it's gone. <laughs> right? Uh, Lord of the Rings fan. Any Lord of the Rings fans? 
All right, so Lord of the Rings fans, this is, this is, this is a seal door, right? Uh, in, throughout, throughout the story of, of the Lord of the Rings story, Isildur is the king who uh, he, he found the, the ring. If you're not familiar with the story, it's about a magic ring. <laughs> you know, uh, he finds the ring and he has it, and he could have done the right thing and destroyed it, but what he did is he kept it for himself, and the line was broken. That's said over and over and over again throughout the story. That line was broken. It's dead. It doesn't exist anymore. It can never be restored. Such a dreary forecast must have been discouraging for God's people. I mean, think about it. You have this hope in your God, and your God promises that your king, this one good king that you had, is going to reign forever. His, his, his reign will go on forever through his gener- next generation and next generation and next generation and so on, that being David, right? And, and yet here, it's broken. It's dead. It's a stump. I suspect we've all experienced enough trials in our life to understand what Judah must have been thinking, how they must have felt at that time, right? I mean, we all realize that, that the trials that we face, the hardships that we face, they have a way of stealing the joy that we have. They even have a way of making us wonder if God has finally said, enough, I don't want anything more to do with you. Whether we're wrestling with illnesses or addictions, or strained relationships, or some other struggle in our lives, we understand how Israel must have felt when Isaiah's prophecy came to pass. When Judah suddenly was crushed by Assyria, they must have thought, oh no, now we've gone and done it. We've gone too far. We've stepped over the line. There is no hope for this kingdom that God has promised. We sympathize with the despair that they felt. Yet Isaiah's point was not to cause them despair. Isaiah's point was not to say, hey, you're going to be crushed and you're on your own. Though their future looked bleak, they had tremendous reason to hope in the words of Isaiah. Yes, it was Judah's arrogance that that brought their downfall, right? It would lead to their ruin. And yet at the same time, the fact that God is warning them means that God cares. It's a demonstration of his grace. It's the same for us in our day-to-day lives, right? When God warns us, don't do that. He's not doing it because he's some old mean guy that sits up in heaven and watches over us. He's doing it because he knows what the consequence of what we're thinking about doing will cause. Don't do it. You don't know the destruction that it will bring. You just don't know. Isaiah's purpose was not to cause them despair. It was to show them God's grace. It was to remind them of the promise to bring restoration. Yes, you will feel pain. Yes, you will struggle. Yes, you will be tried. But there's a promise of hope. There's a promise of restoration. There's a promise of what God will do. There will come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit. From their devastation, God would raise up one who would do great things in their midst and for them. He he would bear fruit for them. He He would restore them to their former glory. He would heal the wounds of their rebellion. He would redeem them from their sin. He would reconcile them to himself and to one another. He would repair the damage to their hearts and their spirits. He would renew their minds through his truth. He would do all these things and more because that is why he came. So imagine what he'll do for us. All of us have experienced the damage of sin in our lives. We know 
how destructive it can be to everything, the way we feel, our hearts, our minds, our souls. We felt the pain and experienced the loss, and we can rightfully describe that destruction as destruction, and we can rightfully describe the feelings that we feel from that as despair. It's devastating. But if you hear nothing else today, if you've blocked out everything I've said, hear me now, this one point, if you hear nothing else, whether the hurt that we feel is from one, from our own sin or from another person's sin, we rejoice in knowing that God doesn't leave us there. The Son came for hope. The Son came for our redemption. The Son came because he loved us so much that God sent him for that purpose. I know it's difficult to believe that. It's difficult to feel that in the midst of the trials. But our inability to feel hopeful doesn't make it less true. It just doesn't. Our feelings are fickle. They flow with how the day is going or the week is going, or the month is going, or the year is going. Our, our feelings are fickle, but God's truth tells us to not trust how you feel. Trust what I say. Trust what you know to be true in my word. We can rejoice in the coming of the Son because he promises to rebuild us out of our brokenness. He promises, us, he promises us that we're not going to be left in the despair that we feel. Out of the brokenness left by our pride and our sin, he restores us. Out of the damage left by our weaknesses and our failures, he rebuilds us. He makes us new. Who, who remembers the, uh, the TV show, 1970s TV show, Six Million Dollar Man? All right, good. Um, for you youngins, sorry. Uh, Six Million Dollar Man, right at the beginning, right? At the opening of that show, right? They show... Uh, they show Lee Majors, who I still think is one of the coolest actors to ever live, and he just, he just has that air about him. Anyway, uh, he, he's sitting in this rocket, and he's got this helmet on, and they're talking to him, and he's, he's getting ready to test this rocket, and they launch him off, and he loses altitude, and he crashes. And then it goes into the doot, doot, you know, because he's on life support and that sort of thing. And, and there's a, a narrator comes on and says, Steve Austin, astronaut, a man barely alive. And then you hear another voice chime in and said, we can rebuild him. We have the technology. We can rebuild him stronger, better, faster. That's God. I mean, that wasn't God talking, but that, that's God, right? That's what God's doing for us. I mean, maybe not the faster part, but maybe, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's part of heaven. Maybe we get faster. Maybe we don't. But, but the fact is God is rebuilding us anew. He's taking the brokenness the, the, the bits and pieces that we sometimes feel like we're just lying in a pile, and he puts us back together. He puts us back together, and when he does, it, it, it's, it's amazing. We sing about this um, on a pretty regular basis in one of my, one of my favorite all-time hymns that we, we sing. It's called A Pensive, Doubting, Fearful Heart, right? There's a story. I don't know whether it's true. I've heard it before. I've shared it before, uh, but don't quote me. <laughs> Uh, you can say, I heard this once, uh, but there's a story about how that hymn was written, right? Um, Isaac Newton was the, was the author. He was a former slave trader. He was the author of the, of the hymn Amazing Grace, right? And um, he had his, his best friend in the, in the whole world. They worked together. Uh, they were pastors together. They wrote hymns together. They, they wrote poetry together. They, 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 they were just the best of best friends uh, named William Cooper. And William Cooper suffered from debilitating, debilitating depression. 
like even though he was a he was a pastor and he was preaching to God's people to be hopeful in his own heart he struggled with whether God could ever love him and often felt like the answer was no and it crushed him it crushed him and there were times when he couldn't get out of bed and there were times when he couldn't move and the story goes as the story goes um, Isaac Newton wrote this hymn not not to William Cooper, but with, with his friend, with his dearest friend in mind. Pensive, doubting, fearful heart. Hear what Christ your Savior says. Every word should joy impart. Turn your mourning into grace, I think is the right word. Praise, Praise. thank you. Thank you. Um, it's the last verse I want to focus on, though, right? That was the beginning of the first verse, the last verse. Though afflicted, tempest-tossed. So, struggling with problems. Though afflicted, tempest-tossed. Comfortless a while thou art. Do not think thou can be lost. Thou art graven on my heart. All thy wastes I will repair. Thou shalt be rebuilt anew. And in thee it shall appear what the God of love can do. Think about that for a second. In you, God is demonstrating his grace. You may feel crushed by something that is happening right now in your life, but in you and through you, God is rebuilding you in such a way that, that people will be able to see you and they'll go, what is it about that person that makes them who they are? Right? I mean, I've told you, I think I've told you this story before. I came to Jesus because uh, I had a two-year-old nephew that, that died of leukemia. I was born and raised in a Christian home. I was the youngest of four. Um, you know, all my family attended church regularly. They were, they were, they were all faithful believers in Christ. Uh, but I, I got to 18, and I was the rebel. You know, I had long hair, and I had a big beard. And, and uh, my nephew, who was, who was in the hospital for, I don't know, he was in the hospital for a year, uh, I think, or more, on and off. Maybe the entire, probably his entire life. I'm looking at Belinda, because Belinda was, we were dating at the time. Um, and uh, in watching that, you know, when he died, I kind of, I was crushed. I was devastated. I was like, you know, what's the point? <laughs> if, if, if a baby can die, and the only joy that he experienced in his life was getting Snoopy Band-Aids in the hospital every time the doctors would poke him, what's the point? But I watched my brother and my sister-in-law uh, rest on their faith in Christ. I watched them go, it's, it's horrible. He was never ours to begin with. He was always Christ's. And so we're simply giving him back. Two nurses came to Jesus. <laughs> um, a couple of other people through them came to Jesus. I came to Jesus. I said, what's wrong with me? How can, they lost their son, how can, how can they not be struggling the way I am? And it's because of this. It's because they can be rebuilt anew through Christ. They can be challenged and strengthened and go through terrible, terrible things that I pray to God I will never have to go through and come out different, changed, better in a way. It's true for all of us, whether we're going through the hard time now or we have in the past. The fact of the matter is this. We stand, as, we, we stand here, we sit here today as one of two things. 
We either testimonies of what God has done or we're promises of what God is going to do. doesn't matter where you are. That's true. You're either a testimony to what God has done or you're a promise to what God is going to do in your life. The Son comes to rebuild our brokenness. The Son comes to restore our faith. God gives him all wisdom and power and knowledge and counsel and might and, 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 and understanding of who God is so that he can communicate that to us so that we can understand what it is that God has done for us, understand what it is that Jesus has done, and understand who he calls us to be. That he might lead us back to the Father. As Presbyterians, we, we prescribe to, or subscribe is probably a better word, uh, subscribe to um, uh, what's called the Westminster Confession of Faith. It means we, we have a, a confession that we, we don't often talk about here, but it, it, it sort of takes what the Bible says and condenses it into uh, a, a followable system, right? So, in the, in the part about the Son, in the part about Jesus, it says this, and I'm going to paraphrase it. It says, Jesus possessed all of God's wisdom and knowledge so that being holy, harmless, and pure, filled with God's grace and truth, he'd be completely equipped to be our advocate and guarantee our salvation. God called him and commanded him to use all power and judgment for that purpose. For that purpose, to be our advocate and to guarantee our salvation. Our salvation not just to a future heavenly kingdom, but our salvation to a restoration and a rebuilding and a renewal of our hearts and our minds, of who we are, of all the pains that we feel. Um, I'm going I'm to use another uh, Lord of the Rings illustration. At the very end of the last book, right, there's a part where, where Sam, they've gone through all of this, and, and he sees Gandalf, and he thought Gandalf was dead. Gandalf's a wizard, right? And he says... I thought you were dead. But then again, I thought I was dead. Are all bad things going to be, come undone? And the answer is yes. The kingdom of God where the sun reigns means all bad things are going to come undone. How does that work? I don't know. I'm not God. But what I do know is it's true. You're going to experience none of, what you, none of the pain that you felt here and a thousand times more joy. You won't remember the pain. You won't remember the struggles. They'll be undone. They'll be made new. God can redeem even those. God loved us so much that he sent his son for that purpose. He came himself through his son, right? Jesus is God. He's not just the son of God, but he is God himself. So God, God was taking that old adage and saying, if you want something done right, do it yourself. He didn't entrust us to, to, to human kings and human priests and human... He entrusts us to himself, to his son, Jesus Christ, the son who comes, who comes to restore our faith, to, to rebuild our brokenness, the son that comes to apply the justice of God for our good, to perfectly administer all the justice that God is, all the justice that God has. He won't fall for the deception of smooth-talking politicians and, and leaders who say, if you only do this, if you follow me, he won't, he won't fall for any of that. He will maintain the rights of the defenseless, the poor, the weak, the persecuted, the hungry, the broken, the lonely, the sinful, the lost. He'll maintain the rights of his people. 
the people that he died for, the people that he came for. This is the shoot from the stump of Jesse. It's what he came to do. And we're called simply to rejoice in that. Not just here on Sunday mornings, not just when we're singing a song, but every day. When we get up in the morning, we should go, thank you, God, for another day. I know some days that's really hard to do, and I admit I'm, I have those same struggles. But I try every day to get up and say, thank you, God, that I woke up because I didn't have to. You didn't have to let me. Thank you, God, for the great blessings that I have in my life. Even amid struggles, we all have huge blessings. We are born in a country or have come to a country (laughs) where we're free to do this. And the fact is that's not true everywhere, guys. We're, we're in a country where we can praise God and we can worship God and we can talk about our faith and we can love God and we can pray for our meals even when we're out at restaurants if we want. We can do these things because God has blessed us and brought us here. Because God has promised to do those things. And so we rejoice. I know it's difficult amidst tri- amid trials to do that, whether it's our own sin that's caused it or the general brokenness of the world or someone else's sin. Destruction leaves pain behind. Sin leaves destruction. Destruction leaves pain. That's just the way it is. And it takes a long time to overcome that. But be patient. God loves you. God sent his son for you. God died for you and rose again so that we could rejoice in who he is. Sin will wreak havoc on our lives, but God sends his son to rebuild our brokenness, to restore our faith, and to apply his justice for our good. Will you pray with me? Lord God, I, I, uh, find that it's easy in my own life to, to call out to you most when I'm in trouble or when I'm having trouble or I'm struggling or there's a pain or there's a turmoil going on, thinking, God, you know what, come on, can you, can you fix this? Sort of with a, a what have you done for me lately attitude. But I don't want to be that way. I know none of us want to be that way, Lord. So I pray that you would make our hearts grateful. Grateful for what you've done. Grateful for what you continue to do. Grateful for the things that we don't even know you're doing. That keep us safe. That draw us closer to you. That build us up. Strengthen us and encourage us, Lord. So I pray is that we continue to worship you in this place. You would do that through the music that we sing, through the prayers that we offer up, through a time of offering, Lord, that all those things would continue to draw us closer to who you are, that we might be more and more like your son, Jesus. Thank you for his sacrifice and for all that he's done. We pray all these things in his precious name. Amen.